being able to make sure that when they get out in front of people, a lot of people are like, but what if people don't like me? Or what if people don't listen to me? Or what if people don't like what I have to say? And I'm like, the wrong people will go away. The right people will stay, period. But you have to know that you're okay with that, that you're, that you don't have to be everybody's everything. That I think is the hardest part is not being everybody's everything. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I am excited to have the approachable badass herself, Melanie Spring. Melanie is an international keynote speaker and public speaking trainer. She and her crew travel the world creating branded experiences for humans like you to find your stories, build your confidence, and amplify your voices. Melanie has had multiple successful careers and many evolutions of her business, and I just think she's such a great example of what being an entrepreneur in the service space is all about and what the evolutionary process looks like. So I am delighted to share that today she was kind enough to let me actually dig into her business and how it's evolved over the years. We talk about what it actually takes to get high paying speaking gigs all over the world and what that life really looks like when you get it. We talk about all the assets and the courses that Melanie has that she isn't promoting or selling right now, and how letting go of great work that you've done in the past is actually something that we entrepreneurs often need to do if we want to continue to grow in our business and get the business that we want, and what it really looks like to struggle and get scared and do it anyway. We talk about that and so much more, so buckle up. Here we go. I've loved watching your journey online, especially because everything you post like makes me feel energized and you're like, yeah, we're doing this. We're manifesting this shit. We're, do- <laughs> we're going to do whatever we want. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, girl, mm-hmm. me too. <laughs> I want that. Um, and that kind of seems to be your speed. Is that is that Melanie all the time? Yes. <laughs> My husband realized very quickly that that is me all the time, unless I'm laying on the floor saying, please lay on me because I can't take it anymore. But otherwise, yes, most of the time I'm 100% going. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. You seem very active in your personal life as well oh, as yeah. your, <laughs> your business life. Well, that's what we need from you, right? Because you're inspiring people to take life by the reins. Tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, I think of you as like, you're inspirational, you're inspiring people to own Mm -hmm. their voice, you're telling helping them build confidence, which is about owning their voice. You called yourself a recovering (laughs) brand strategist. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, I, I had a branding agency. I think this is the biggest reason you and I got connected because we did such similar things and had a cool brand to go with it. And one of the things that I stopped doing was brand strategy because I got burnt out on it. I was working. I mean, I'm sure that you probably understand this, but I used to look at my inbox and I was like, there feels like a dumpster fire in my inbox every week. And it's usually something where it has nothing to do with me, but someone's mad at me because, oh, my website's down. And I'm like, I I don't host your website. And they're like, no, 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 but you did my website. So you're at fault for this. And I was like, 
that's not how that works. But it was like the education of it that got so yes. overwhelming that I'm like, I don't want to work with people like this anymore. I want to do something that lights me up every week, not makes me go, oh, I have to check my email again. <laughs> so I quit four years ago and just decided to be a full-time speaker, which I didn't know was a thing. So I called myself a recovering brand strategist because I'd still talk about branding and I'd still work on stuff. But I was like, I don't want to do brand strategy anymore. And what's funny is now I'm like, Actually, I'm doing it again, but not the way I used to do it. I'm not building logos and websites and marketing materials. I'm actually helping people put their strategies together for their businesses, which is amazing to be able to do in a way that I want. So yeah, recovering-ish. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't brand strategy come into everything you're doing with people, especially when it comes to crafting a talk? I mean, isn't that brand strategy? Yeah, well, that's the part that I finally realized. I'm like, okay, so I'm a speaker trainer. But I'm not really a speaker trainer. So if you put me in a box of other speaker trainers, I'm like, mm, that's not really what I do. And then you put me in with brand strategy. I'm like, mm, but that's not really what I do. And then I started, somebody told me I was a life coach the other day. I was like, you never say that to me again. You just wash your mouth out with soap right now because I am not a life coach. And he's like, yeah, but if you think about like you're a speaker trainer mixed with a life coach, mixed with a brand strategist, kind of pulling all these pieces together, I'm like, when you can name that, I will fully own that, but stop calling me a life coach. <laughs> A lot of people hate the life coach term. I, that you're not the first person to say that to me this week. <laughs> What's wrong with life coaches? I don't even I'm think there's I mean, anything I, wrong with it. I think it's just really the the idea that there's 22 year old life coaches, and I'm like, give me a break, dude. Like, yes, that's the problem with it. Is people are like, I'm a life coach because yes. they haven't figured out what they want to do with their lives. I'm like, that's not how. That's not how this works. <laughs> you, yes, you become a therapist yes. if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> Totally agree. And yet uh, you can't help but touch people's lives when you're helping them build their own confidence, right? I mean, yeah. is that like at the core of it? What are you doing to help? What What is at the core of helping people build confidence for you? It's mostly about helping them understand who they are. And it comes down to a higher awareness of what I call their knowingness. I only recently started thinking about my own knowingness and understanding that I have all of those answers. And I've been saying it for years. I'm like, you already know what your talk is. You already know what your brand is. You already know who you are, but you just haven't tapped in and started listening to who you really are. And so I think I'm getting deeper into that understanding of what your knowing is. And it's funny, every time people would leave my retreat, which I just quit doing, um, they would always look at me and say, you say that this is a speaking retreat. It's really just like, how do you figure out who you are? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of anything, isn't it? That we're here to figure out who we are and who we're meant to be and what we're meant to say. So it's in everything. That sounds right on and, and doesn't surprise me, actually. That's kind of the, that's kind of where I arrived with building the branding agency, actually, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's why we call it a brand shrink. It's the same thing. It's like, well, I can't build your brand until I figure out what's going on with you and what you want and all these things. And it just became mm -hmm. a bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper process because that seems to be at the core of all of it. Everything. Yeah. And that's the part where I think recovering brand strategists started going away because I was like, I'm always going to do brand strategy because it feels like it's at the core of everything. I feel like everyone should have to understand what brand strategy means, even if they don't know how to implement it or do it or work on it or whatever, having someone help them. But understanding your own brand and understanding how you show up with every tiny little piece of it, not on the outside, but also on the inside, it's the same with businesses too. So yeah, I could geek out on brand strategy all day with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you more about your speaking for a second, because you just like breeze right by that. You didn't even know this was a thing. Like, how did you become, I think a lot of people want to be speakers and they, they know, they know it's a thing, but mm -hmm. 
but there's a huge gap between I've given some speeches or I want to, to, I want to get paid to speak. I want to be brought in. I mean, you've got like, you've got the whole media kit. You've done, you've done the rounds quite a bit. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened and, and how you learned how to do that? And what is it? Yeah, I was actually sharing this with someone the other day because I was like, he's, he asked me, he said, how long did it take you? And I said, eight years to get paid for it. Eight years. And he's like, is it going to take me eight years? I'm like, no, it's not. I actually figured out how to do this, but I never cared about getting paid for it before. I was getting tons of clients from my branding agency. So I was like, why do I, I don't want, you don't need your money. I can get your money through the people who are in your audience and I'm fine with that. And so then when I flipped it to the other side where I was getting paid and getting paid really good money traveling the world and doing these amazing opening keynotes with the Elvis brothers opening for me in sweet in um, Norway, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I get to do this. This is so cool. And you'll fly me and my husband overseas for a little trip. Sure. Yes, I'm 100% in on that. That wasn't like a flip into okay, I'm automatically doing this. But it's it comes down to what we've been talking about brand strategy. It comes down to how are you putting yourself out there? And how are you asking for what you want? So most of it isn't about like, oh, I'm really good at speaking. Most of it is about, are they talking about you after? Are they sharing you with the other conference organizers? Are you even asking them to? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I just don't know how to get them to share. I'm like, did you put it in your contract? Did you say, hey, I'd like three referrals after this for the free talks that you're giving? You're giving free talks. Or they ask you for a discount. Okay, you'll discount your fee and they'll give you a testimonial. They'll give you three referrals to other conference organizers because I can promise you they know lots of them. They all have conferences for people like them. So making sure to do that. It's just, it's a slow process, but you can speed it up really quickly if you decide that's what you want. Right. And also positioning yourself as a speaker. I think a lot of people don't even tell anyone they're a speaker and they're like, how do I get speaking gigs? (laughs) You have to say it. You have to just be like, I'm a speaker. Yay. Right. Right. And so I think that's a really great point. Actually, you have to speak for free for a long time and realize that there's other benefits to it. So it sounds like you built your speaking career and your skills and all of that using the speaking to get clients, which Mm -hmm. is for your branding agency, which is something I recommend anyone who's open and willing to do speaking, right? Not everybody wants to be a public speaker, but anyone who's willing to do that, it's a great way, right? You're the expert. You're, you're just basically pitching to however many people are in the room without feeling like a pitch and they are so excited to hear from you. Yeah. And then at what point did you uh, transition to getting paid for it? And at what point did you transition out of your agency? Like, did you get paid for it for a while and then say, oh, I don't need to do this agency anymore? Or was it a deliberate move? Was it like accidental? They flew you to Norway and you're like, oh, I could start charging. Like, how did that work? <laughs> No. So when I had the the branding agency, I had started getting paid for some of them. And I didn't even realize that that was a thing until later. So I was really happy when people are like, oh, um, we have $1,500. I'm like, okay, sounds great. (laughs) Like whatever you have, I'll take it. Sounds awesome. Yeah. But then as it started going, I ended up hiring a booking manager, which is funny because that one thing, hiring her, because I had already positioned myself. And that's the biggest thing with if you have a booking manager, you have to have already gotten your brand together. You have to have already gotten a demo video. You have to have already had all of your stuff already getting referrals. You have to have like money coming in the door before they'll even pick you up because then they help you get more of that from the stuff you're already getting. Otherwise, it's there. There's like no way they're going to pick you up. But at the same time, I she asked me for my demo video and I was like, OK, but how do I get that? And she's like, well, you need to create a demo video. And I, 
Have you ever seen a conference video? They're awful. Like no video. And it's like they take a videographer who's really good and just say, could you put a camera at the back of the room and make it look terrible? And then like not put the, the audio with it, even though we could, we don't need that. Like that's how I get every single video back from a conference. And I kept asking her, I'm like, I can't find any good video of me. Like who does that? Can you tell me of a conference that I can go to that I can get that done? And so I ended up accidentally starting a speaking retreat because I needed a demo video, pure and simple. Five years ago, my booking manager was like, how can you do this? And I asked my videographer friend, he's like, well, you have to get a theater and you have to get people and you have to have lights and sound and I'll set up my video cameras and you're going to give a talk. And I was like, this sounds like a lot of work just to get one thing. And he's like, it is. That's basically how you do it. And so then he mentioned, he's like, well, all of your friends want to know how you're doing what you're doing. So why don't we just train them? And ta-da, <laughs> seven retreats later, wow. I had built an entire speaking program based on that. <laughs> wow, that is so brilliant. So wait, how, what was the retreat? What, it, what was the retreat originally and what is it now? Well, it was originally a thing I called Rock Your Talk until someone else had that. And I was like, I'll just call it something else. So I called it Speak With Confidence. And at first it was, I just took 70 hours, which I didn't realize was that much time before each of them to just get people ready for giving a talk. And I wasn't teaching acting. I wasn't like up on stage, like showing them how to position their bodies. I was just helping them do the talk that sounded the most like them. And I was like, well, that seems to be a niche. I can help people with that. And then as I got better. And at my own speeches, I was teaching them how to really block the stage and use the stage to remember their talk and like all the little things that I'd learned. And then over time, it became a four day, three night retreat (laughs) where they actually had a full demo video at the end of it. But we had all this personal development work throughout. And six weeks before that, we had a course that they went through with calls with us and a trainer and all. It became such a huge production that I lost (laughs) so much money doing it, but it was fun. And I was like, well, it's my fun pet project. So I just made it that. And then this year after COVID canceled two of them last year, we decided to make this year our last one. So yeah, that's, that was the last one. And then we're out now doing private client retreats, which is even more Gotcha. Okay. Yes. I'm so glad you shared that because I see so many big events and I've seen behind the scenes, I've seen the books of some events and the things that you, you know, booked a hundred thousand dollars or this, you know, made this much money. It's like events are so much money and time, (laughs) you know, not just the money you have to pay, but also there's just so much time and then you have to fill it. And the amount you have to charge is so high in order to just get your money back or get a return on your time. And you've done this for years and it, yeah. you couldn't really get that to work. Is that what I'm hearing? Like for, for the retreat itself? Well, we made money on our last one, which is great. Yeah, you did. But after doing... So you made money on your last one and decided not to do it anymore. Well, I think it's well, more about like, how do I really want to position it and not compete? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a speaker trainer. And I'm like, okay, because you did a speech once. That sounds nice. I'm glad that you did that. How are you getting paid to do speaking now? And what are you doing to get that? And so I ended up this year starting to clear out all the stuff that I was doing. And I was like, what if I just got to work with the people I wanted to? I didn't have to try to fill a room of people. I didn't have to get all the trainers and all the staff and all the, I mean, you start getting into the artists, the photographers and videographers and the designers. And you're just like, I don't even want to do this anymore. It's the reason I got out of branding in the first place. I'm like managing all the humans is not my strong suit. So I built it again, basically, except it was a different kind of thing. And when I started looking at what I really wanted to be doing, I was like, well, I want to help the people who are finished with this build the business that allows them to 
have the speaking career they want, whether they're one, they're trying to get speaking to get clients or two, they're getting speaking to get paid for it. So how amazing is that to be able to say, I can help you do that because I'm a brand strategist. I've helped five guys with their brand guide. Like I know how to do this stuff, but I don't want to do it in like a, I'm helping a corporation with their stuff. I can help people build the talk that they want and make sure that they get the clients or the money that they need from it. That's magic. Let's do that. And so I started doing it this year and I was like, oh, well, okay. Sounds great. Let's do more of this. And I get to see an impact immediately. Is that your retreat in, uh, in the beach in the winter? Is this what you're talking about? Yeah. So it's, we do a thing called the immersive weekend and that's part of a mm-hmm. six or nine month program for business owners or, um, sea level humans who are looking at how do I get my speaking into the thing that I'm doing right now? So I actually have some clients who are doing series B round pitches to get more money, like $25 million for their company. And I'm helping them craft that presentation and make sure that the slides work really well for the VCs and then making sure that they show up for the talk because most of them I'm like, can you not sit all the way back in your chair? And can you please just like, look like you really want this? And can we work on how you, how fast you're talking about everything (laughs) to get through it? So yeah, there's all these little things that I'm realizing. There's so many pieces that this can apply to and being able to help people with a sit down with just one, one person and me, I get to go super deep with them and pour into them and allow them to show up just for them instead of competing for attention with other people at the same time. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, that's why one-on-one work is so powerful. I think people, oh, I feel like it's a, people go around in circles, right? When you're doing one-on-one, every, a lot of people, I, I know a lot of people who do one-on-one done for your services or one-on-one coaching mm-hmm. and all they hear is you're selling your time. It's your, your, uh, trading dollars for hours. You need to go to a group model. And then when people are in a group model, it's like, okay, but this is a certain kind of thing, right? Like you can absolutely get paid top dollar to do one-on-one work and get super impressive results and be super profitable. And I'm so excited to hear that that's kind (laughs) of that that you came to that from a feeling of, wait a second, what do I want to do? Right? (laughs) Because you could build your business however you want. Isn't it amazing to think that though, that a lot of people are like, well, I have to do it this way because I'm part of this mastermind or my coach told me or a person happened to mention that that's how they did it. So I have to do it. And I I started realizing how much I was like, I don't want to be competitive with other people in whatever arena. I want to call people like Pia and be like, Hey, can you help me with a project that I have for this client of mine that I'm doing? I want to help. I want to help more people help more people. And I was like, well, I can do that by helping one person, help them hire a team, help them get the right strategists and resources, and then help them make more money and be better humans. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> awesome. You Well, you have a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. I think that's also something, No, not just anyone could craft this kind of offer because mm-hmm. you're actually bringing in your experiences and being successful in many different places. And that's what allows you to be this person who can offer this service. Yeah. But it took a while to get to that point where I was like, I'm just leaving this part of me behind. Like I said, recovering brand strategist. I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want I don't, I don't need that stuff anymore. And I feel like, I mean, we can go all the way back to high school and living in a tiny town and being a woman. I had three career options. I could be a mom, a nurse, or a teacher. And that was it. Like there's no other career options for me. And then realizing that I could, that there were actually a ton more and that there was a thing called communications when I was in college. I was like, what? I don't have to be an English teacher in order to like, what? Seriously? I had no idea. 
And then being able to get into more of it going, oh, wait, I can create my own thing. It doesn't have to be like a thing. Like social media strategist was not something that happened when I was in college. And then it became a thing that people got paid really good money for. And I'm like, okay, so I can actually create my own little niche and disrupt a space that isn't me trying to go, oh, well, I'm going to be the best one in the whole thing. I'm like, I'm going to be the only one in the whole thing that can do what I'm doing right now. I'm so with you. Like, I didn't really see that as a possibility. And I grew up in the middle of New York City. For some reason, I mean, I always did my own thing, but I didn't see a lot of people doing this kind of entrepreneurial journey. It was either the MBA entrepreneurial journey, right? Like Mm -hmm. you go to get an MBA and then you do the raise and you build a business plan and all of that, or you do the corporate thing. Those were the two options I saw. So when did you like, what sparked it for you? I think I had no other choice. I'm I'm from an entire family of entrepreneurs, both sides, my aunts, uncles, grandparents, everybody. I got a job out of college and I started my business in college. So in 2001, I just celebrated my 20th anniversary, which makes me feel so old. (laughs) In 2001, I started my first business while I was in college because the school asked me if I could be their webmaster. And I didn't even know that was a thing. And I was like, they're like, but you build websites. And I'm like, in like Dreamweaver 3, like, are you kidding me? I built, I've been doing HTML since I was like 15. It was just fun. And I was like, sure, that sounds good. It'll make me an extra $8.50 an hour. Let me tell you, $8.50 an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'll make you feel old that when wasn't... you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't bad in 2001. <laughs> no, exactly. So I was making okay money working for the school. And after college, I was my dad was like, oh, Melanie, you're going to go into you know, your own business. You're going to like continue this business you've been building the last two years. And I was like, nah, I'm going to go work for a billboard company selling billboards in Buffalo in the winter. And he's like, why would you work for the man? I'm like, he's an entrepreneur, dad. And he's like, no, you can't go work for somebody, Melanie. You're not built that way. So I had all these people in my head going, you are not allowed to get a job. And I went out and got a freaking job. And they were like, this is ridiculous. We don't get jobs. Like you can't just go get a job. And the best thing I ever did was get a job because then I learned that all the stuff that I had learned from my family was actually would probably have tanked me really quickly where I got to learn all the mistakes of all the other people that I got to work for. And I worked at Fortune 500 companies. I mean, I had a pretty good career between recruiting and marketing and sales because it's all sales at the end of the day. But I did that until I started my agency in 2009 when the market crashed and my boss was like, hey, so what would you do if I couldn't pay you anymore? I was like, I work for myself. He's like, cool, 30 days? I'm like, Okay. Sounds great. Um, sure. So I asked him for all of his clients. I'm like, you have to give me your clients. I'll give you 20% commission on everyone you send me for the first year. And he's like, done, sold. Wow. So, Why did he do that? Cause he felt that? No, he didn't <laughs> want to do you? that anymore. He didn't want to do services oh, anymore. Do it. Yeah. He was oh. a hosting company that wanted to just do hosting. He wanted to build like server farms and we were doing all this marketing stuff. And he's like, I'll just give you my clients. You give me a commission done. That sounds great which was amazing. Wow. That is a really nice way to start a business. You've yeah. already, you've already learned how to do it. You've seen the whole thing in action. You've seen the machine and then you just take over the clients. Yeah. No, well, note I, to self. I'll do that. <laughs> it only lasted about nine months total, but they all knew me. They didn't know the company. They knew me because right. I was the project manager running everything. Sure. So I was like, well, I built my brand inside of that company, took it out and started running it myself and started getting clients I wanted. That's amazing. And what happened? Why did you say only nine months? Because you did brand strategy for a while. Well, I, I, I had a I had a really fascinating model where I didn't like keeping clients. 
I specifically was like, I want to help you with a project and then I want to be done with the project and move on to my next project. So every time I would work on a project, I'd make sure it wasn't something. We even built a CMS, a content management system like WordPress back before WordPress was as big as it was so that our clients didn't ever have to call us for anything. So that they could fully manage it all themselves because WordPress was so hard for clients to manage because they were like, I can barely type in Microsoft Word. How can I edit my website? So we made it that simple. And so we just kept getting rid of clients, which was great because more clients would show up because they would tell everybody like, oh, I don't have to be stuck with them forever, which was the model back then. So being able to allow our clients to come back when they wanted instead was really great. Oh my gosh, you and I are two peas in a pod. We're like, <laughs> don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> like this is done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I get bored with projects like that. I don't yeah. I don't want to work with somebody forever. Thanks. Yeah. And and as brand strategists, as people who get excited about the big change and the ideas, it's like, yeah, I'm energized, I'm enthused, let's do this. Okay, it's done. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Go do your business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I'm right there with you. Okay, cool. So a lot of people are scared of that. I mean, I run into a lot of people who say you have to have recurring revenue or I'm scared not to have recurring revenue. You know, my answer to that has been, well, if you reinvest that time that you get from being a profitable business into building your brand or having marketing, you will always have new clients coming in the door. That's yeah. recurring revenue. It's just not from the same person. I mean, I, you have been great marketing online. Of course, you're an incredible marketer because you have all this uh, background. Is that kind of how your, you ran your business since you didn't have recurring revenue? Yeah, I basically was like out networking and creating events. So I hosted events. We hosted a hundred events in the first six, five years, I think of oh our business, gosh. which is weird because we weren't an events company. So we were just like, I built a thing called DC Tweet Up. That's going to age me again. But um, back when Twitter was a baby, when my business had just started and Twitter had only launched like a year before that. And I got really into it, connecting all the people in my community because I was the connector. So I was always like, oh, yeah. you need a lawyer? I have a guy. Oh, you need a financial advisor? I got a guy. Like it was just like putting people together in little groups. And so we started this thing because I realized I didn't want to have 100 coffee meetings with people I was meeting on Twitter. And it was also local. Like we all followed each other because we all lived in Bethesda, Maryland and like DC. So it was fun to be able to just get people together. And we had, I think, 150 people at our first event. <laughs> like, wow. It was just one of those things where we just started building it. I mean, we had, there was a couple of them at the very beginning that were like eight of us got together for coffee and like those things. But when we launched the big one, we had tons of people. I think we had over 2,000 people on our list who were just local people. And I was the person that they were all like, oh, you know Melanie? Oh, you know Melanie? And it was, my company's name was based on my imaginary friend. So everyone just called me that. And it was Cicerina. So they just called me Cicerina <laughs> everywhere I went. So actually building a new brand of being Melanie, not Cicerina was really hard. Because people were like, oh, you're Cicerina. I'm like, I'm Melanie, but thank you. When did you decide to do that? or how? And how? That was four years ago when I stopped being a brand strategist. Cicerina. Yeah, exactly. So I started gotcha. being Melanie Spring Productions because everyone's like, but you're the brand. I'm like, yes, but I don't want to be the brand. I never wanted to be the brand. I was very much like, I'm not the brand. The company is the brand. I'm not the brand. Even my team would run our social media because I was like, I don't want it to be me or my voice. I want it to be her voice, like the Cicerina voice. Okay. Why didn't you want it to be your voice? 
I never wanted to be the person. So I was never planning on being a speaker or an author. Like the stuff that I want to do now, yeah. I was never planning on doing that. I loved being able to just be the person who could run the behind the scenes and know that my team was taking care of everything. Like I could be the visionary and not the person out front. And after I switched it, man, it was amazing how much people are like, no, but you are the brand. Like you are the reason people come to you. And so I've now helped a lot of people. And I think I had to go through that to help other people go, but I'm not the brand. I'm like, nah, but you are. <laughs> I get it. I was not the brand for a really long time until I was and realized just how much people were hiring me for me, even though I had a company behind me, even though I still have a team behind me, they're still hiring me for me. Yeah. I had the exact same experience. Like one day it was like, okay, guess we're doing this. <laughs> Here is my face, social media. Nice to meet you. Like it was that, but I, I, I kind of thought of it. I, I, this similar, but the only difference was, I, I guess I, I remember it being more that I thought this is going to be way easier if my face is out there. Like it's going to be so much easier if people can connect with me than if they're connecting with me through a brand and I'm kind of constantly hiding behind it. I just had a conversation with someone yesterday who called me up. My friend called me up. She's like, do I really have to be the brand? <laughs> I don't want to be the face of the brand. They're everywhere. Yeah, They're everywhere. And I'm trying to get the heart of why. I think some people say, oh, because I want to build and sell the business. Actually, this person who called me, that's what she said. What would you say to that? It depends on how they want to sell the business. Are they selling their IP? Are they selling the actual brand? Are they selling themselves with the brand? Like, Because it could be that somebody buys yeah. their brand, even if it's not named your name or whatever. Someone's right. buying that brand of you that you've put out there for that long. And even if, even if you're not selling you, you're still selling you at the end of the day. So you kind of go along with that. And it depends too, like tech companies obviously don't sell the brand of the person, sell the thing that you're selling. But if you're a services based company and people are buying the you behind it, sell that. Yeah. It's so much easier. Well, why do you think people want to hide so badly? I think most people just don't think that they have something that's interesting enough to say. Like other people are like, oh, well, everyone else says that. Yeah, everyone said everything. <laughs> that's great. But if you have a filter of your own, you're the one that's putting your filter. You have all of your stories. I tell all my speakers this. They're like, oh, but someone's already done a TED talk about that. I'm like, not the way you would do it. And they're like, okay, tell me more. Well, you have your stories. You have your history. You have all the stuff that you've been through. You have all of your experiences. Nobody has the exact same experience as you. Like you were telling me earlier, like brand strategy, speaking, life coaching, whatever. Nobody has that same exact experience. I mean, they might have similar, but no one has my experience and my view on it. So being able to make sure that when they get out in front of people, a lot of people are like, but what if people don't like me? Or what if people don't listen to me? Or what if people don't like what I have to say? And I'm like, the wrong people will go away. The right people will stay, period. But you have to know in here, in your knowing <laughs> that, that you're okay with that, that you're, that you don't have to be everybody's everything. That I think is the hardest part is not being everybody's everything. Yeah. That is a really scary thing for most people. Mm -hmm. I think most people just want to be liked yeah. by everyone, even though that's completely impossible. <laughs> I saw a sign the other day, somebody posted it somewhere and they said, um, you don't have to be liked by everyone. You don't even like everyone. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. I don't even like everyone. Why do I think everyone's going to like me? <laughs> yeah. And some people I don't like are because they're kind of just generic, likable. <laughs> I don't love that. <laughs> yeah. 
pasta with butter. I know who I'm talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> they know who, who they are. <laughs> yeah, super nice. Totally fine. Not a bad person at all. Just like pasta with butter, you know? Yeah. Although pasta and butter is so good. <laughs> so. It has to be unsalted, though, if it's that. Yeah, shape. okay. No salted salt. pasta. See? Right. Once you mm-hmm. put the salt on, then it's delicious. I love it. So tell me more about, like, these. I mean, you help people in mass now. I mean, you have this awesome 90-day challenge that I is, like, a big group that you're helping mm-hmm. people over 90 days craft a talk. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> and what's the it's business actually, model behind that? Yeah. Well, it actually is quicker. Like you can do it in four weeks if you really want to. It's just I've get, I've realized that people need time to be able to get through seven chapters of a course. We usually do it in six weeks before the retreat. But being able to give people the time because some people do the 90 day challenge and have to do it again because they're like, OK, I figured out my story. So I'm done with chapter one in the first 90 days now. It's time to do it again. And that's what I realized is people just need that the resource to be able to do it. They're like, I don't have a talk. And I'm like, mm, but you do. And if you walk through this course, the way that I built it, which I literally only built it for the retreat, not to have to spend 70 hours of time working with people. So being right. able to make it more streamlined, I realized that there's a very specific methodology for finding those things and understanding how you show up. But the funny thing is, is the first sto- chapter is all about story, understanding your story. Chapter two is all about your personal brand. Which people are like, wait, that has nothing to do with my talk. I'm like, mm, has everything to do with your talk. <laughs> so being able to remind people that they are the reason that their speech is there, not, okay, I just have to come up with the words to make it happen. So yeah, mm. the business model is another fascinating thing with that though. <laughs> so Yeah. Tell me, I want to know about your business model because it's, uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, you were doing that into this retreat that you've decided to, or this event that you are not doing anymore. So you changed what it goes into. It's really interesting that you asked this. So last year I had a call from my now coach who asked me, she's like, how are you making money? And I was like, "Mm, I'm not. And she's like, so why, why are you doing this stuff? And I'm like, I had no idea what to do. I had all these assets and was just like, okay, pandemic hits. What am I supposed to do if I'm a full-time speaker? Cool. Now I'm doing Zoom calls, which is okay, that's nice, but they're not paying full fee for me doing Zoom calls and I'm not getting as many of them because people are thinking they're going to go back to in-person soon. So they're just moving events instead. And so, I mean, we had a huge amount of revenue booked for just me speaking last year and it all disappeared in like a week. I had someone tell me, they're like, I lost 30% of my revenue last year. And I'm like, off. (laughs) I don't even want to talk to you about this, but basically what happened is they, they set it up where, um, I've, they set it up. I set it up basically where we set up this course and I was like, well, if we do a 90 day challenge with it, we can get a lot of people into it, which means I'll be in front of a lot more people problem. I'm in front of a lot more people, but they're not necessarily all the perfect people. They're, They're not in my perfect target market. So I was in front of a lot of people, which was great. And a lot of people bought it because it was 97 bucks. It's still 97 bucks if you buy it. So, but a lot of people would get into it and be like, oh, it's a $97 course. You know what happens when people think $97 course, they're like, oh, this is going to be easy. I can finish this in a week. I'm like, no. And people would get in it going, there's a 150 page workbook. Are you kidding me? Like, how could I do this? And so when my coach called me last year, she's like, um, so how do you make money on a hundred dollar course? And I'm like, well, actually I ended up filling my retreat for this May with that, which is awesome because most of the people 
who canceled last year either moved or decided not to come or we did something else with them. I was like, it helped me. Like it was a good stepping stone. The problem is, is selling a $97 course. It's really a $2,000 course is really not a good idea. So we're reworking a lot of that to be able to then relaunch it in a way that helps people be able to get the help that they really need, because it's not a week long thing to just throw together your talk. It's a really deep and magical thing that can happen. So I definitely positioned it. I'm not going to say wrong. I'm not going to regret anything, but I definitely positioned it as a, an easy thing when it's a really, really hard thing that takes a lot of work to do. And I think it helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of insight from last year, especially since I was like, well, I have nothing else to lose. What? We'll just do whatever we want with it. But being able to move it into this year and think, okay, how do I repurpose that in a way that allows people to see the depth of it? And it allows people to not think, oh, it's just an easy little thing I'm just going to pay a hundred bucks for. Because it's not about the money. It's about how much are they committed to doing it. So the bigger plan behind it is really to help my clients, because I'm just working with private clients now, helping them be able to go, okay, go to chapter two, get this work done by our next call, and then we'll do that. Or we have the immersive weekend together. Okay, let's go through this ahead of time. Make sure that you have the pieces so that when we're in person, we're going super deep on your talk. So it's we're positioning in a different way. You said open the kimono, so it's fully open now. You can see all my bits. <laughs> <laughs> I love your bits. Thank you for sharing. That's amazing. That's so, it's so helpful. Like these are the things that people don't see online, right? Everything looks so shiny, but it's, I, I have so many similar experiences. It's like, okay, like I tried this, it worked this way. It didn't work that way. Okay. How can I repurpose? I put so much effort into these pieces. Like yeah. even when the things, um, work or they hit or, you know, plenty of stuff that you and I both have that is super profitable. There's there's the graveyard behind it of all the stuff that we made or that tried or this didn't quite work or this wasn't that profitable or it seemed successful. You know, it brought in a hundred grand, but it cost 150. So mm, that doesn't really matter. So that's super good to hear. So it sounds like you translate, you trans transitioned, transitioned it into a, um, a hybrid model, a one-on-one hybrid model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have some of the online stuff, but also the the stuff offline. And I have so many other courses. It's so funny. I don't even share them with anyone because I'm like, well, we have this in-person right. thing for speakers with comedians and actors and storytellers. And then I had this rock your videos course because the pandemic was like, okay, we have to be on video. And I'm like, well, how do you want to do better meetings? Or how do you want to do better webinars? Or how do you want to do better whatever? I'll teach you from the, the speech side, like the talking side and how to show up on camera better and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it was okay, well, mm, do I really want to market that? Do I really want to be the person for that? Do I really want to do that? And I can use them when I need them. Like, hey, I have a course. I'm going to give you access to it. Go through these modules and then come back and we'll work on these things, which is nice because then I'm not going, let's set up your camera correctly and get all the pieces done. Like I have a thing for that. So it's nice. But like you said, it's the graveyard of all of the, I was going through my ClickFunnels the other day going, there's so much in here. I've spent so much time creating so many things. Why? And I'm like, someday I'll use it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> I am so right there with you. The, the lead pages, the oh my campaigns gosh. and infusion soft. It's just the emails that have been written. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's all there. Yeah. And I actually was talking to a different friend who is really having a hard time like letting go of a course Ugh. because to your point, and I really want to stress this to people who are listening, because I think that they think when you create an asset, it's like, oh, now like I can make this can make money. It's like, no, it doesn't make nothing makes money. You have to make it make money. So if you're not 
positioning yourself as the person who sells that, just like you said, or you're not like putting energy into telling people about it, how are they going to buy it? You can't just have things on your website that are kind of related because it's cheap. People will buy it. That's just not how people buy. Like, no. why would we buy it from you? We, there's somebody else who has a course like that where they, that's what they're all about. So uh, I, I feel like I've gone into on like a lot of recent podcasts, just ranting about people thinking that you can have assets and they can just sell, or there's like an easy way to, Oh, I'll just put that here and people will just buy it. It's like, no, it's like a whole thing. <laughs> it's yeah. a whole thing to sell, to sell stuff. I had a client recently tell me that she wanted to build a course and she's like, well, I just want to build this course. And I was like, okay, let's, let's think about that. Let's really go into it. So you have to come up with emails that go with it. You have to put together the marketing for it. You have to put all the graphics together for it. Then you have to do the videos for it. And then you have to build the content for it. And do you want a workbook or do you not want a workbook? Do you want worksheets? Do you want downloads? How are you going to manage people if they sign up? Like, it was just like, and she's like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, mm, probably. Not. Yeah, no, you're going to hire someone to help you do that to make sure that they, you can give them stuff and you can only do certain pieces of it. You do not want to try to build every single piece. I'm like, I have, my husband is a digital marketing expert. It's nice to have that, but usually I'm like, Dan, ClickFunnels is broken. Dan, my <laughs> active campaign isn't working. Like, it's just, Oh my gosh. I've cried to him so many times and he probably regrets ever teaching me any of it because I know enough to be dangerous and basically ruin everything. So yeah, no, <laughs> no, no guys. No. Yeah. Sometimes we just have to let those things go. I mean, I've definitely retired entire programs that are really good yeah. that I'm really proud of that. I don't even have a use for mm -hmm. like you do. Like it doesn't come back in. Like I'm just making new I'm just making new stuff. But, but part of that, what I, what I say to make myself feel better when I go to sleep at night <laughs> is that it wasn't for the asset itself. It was for the experience of having built it. Cause now I can build something better. Like now I learned all of those things and there's only so much you can learn reading about it, learning about it, hearing about it. You just have to do it. That's like a podcast. I think every time I've built something new, I always cry right before I do it. And I think that that's how I, I feel like that's how I'm an approachable badass is because of the fact that I'm not just a badass. I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I'm like, I'm going to cry my face off and then we're going to make it happen. Great. Awesome. But every, like the first time I launched my podcast, like I had a podcast called Adventures in Branding and I did that for three years and I love doing it. But the first six episodes, I bawled my face off right beforehand. I tried so hard to come up with exactly what I was going to say and how I was going to start it and tons of work, tons and tons and tons of work. As soon as I got into it, I was like, oh, well, this is easy. All right, let's do this. What about this? Okay. It was just after a little bit, I was like, that's so easy. So we just... We're about to launch a podcast for this new business called the the Intentional Story Podcast. And it's with three of us, my coworkers, Nate and Maggie. They're both trainers of mine. One's a pastor, one's an ex-Mormon, and then there's me. And like we're just all sitting there just chatting about storytelling, like acting and being a pastor and me talking about story from a speaking perspective. And as soon as we started, I was like, okay, here's the deal. There's a hundred things we have to do in order to get this thing going. And then we have to edit it all. And, oh, we're doing video too. Cool. Awesome. So it's all these little pieces, but I knew ahead of time exactly what I was getting into. And I knew also it can be very, very easy if I want it to be. I don't have to make it really hard. It doesn't have to be tons of work because I was putting in so much pressure on myself before. Now I'm like, we're just going to do this and see what happens. We'll have a general idea for the podcast episode. We go to town and it's amazing. But sometimes it's really thinking about 
how much do I want to put into something and knowing really what you're getting into with courses or lead pages or a new speech or whatever you're trying to get out there. It's just knowing a little bit more about it. So now I don't cry every time I launch something new because I feel like I've done it all and I'm like, I don't have any more tears left for any of it. (laughs) And that's just a step on the entrepreneurial journey, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you really want to get into the position that you're in, for example, like Okay, I think you're a perfect example for people who are newer in business because they see who you are and what you have. They see people who have this brand fleshed out and all these great offerings that's very focused and they don't necessarily see the graveyard or all the the steps before it. But you can't have that graveyard and you can't be the person who has all these different skills and all these different experiences unless you actually go through the act of trying these things. So even you're saying, well, it's good to know what you're getting into. Like, I don't think you really can know what you're getting into this no. stuff. And you just have to know that you don't know what you're getting into. And I have, I had a similar experience. Um, just recently, I started doing more lives on mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram. I had done them years ago and I, I'm starting again. And I, same thing, especially that first time it's like hitting the record button, like, or hitting the live button and having my notes and wanting it to be perfect. And I think what I had to let go of was, it's not going to be exactly what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Because what ex- what I want it to be is, is would take me five times as long. And I, yeah. and so it won't be what I want it to be, because I want it to be that not taking five times as long. And that's not possible. So I have to decide that I'd rather do it in 20% of the time and it be something that's great and good enough (laughs) instead of like whatever perfect thing that maybe nobody else notices but me. Yeah. I did that one day. I actually put my makeup on one day and just started talking. I like set up my phone in the corner and I don't do that because I'm like, I'm not, and I specifically started this with, this is not a makeup tutorial. I'm not teaching you how to do your makeup. I know I had a makeup artist teach me and that is purely it. That's how I know how to do this, but I'm only doing this because then I'm concentrating on something else and sharing what I really want to share. And it was so nice not to have to like look at myself in the camera because I think we're all overwhelmed with having to look at ourselves on screen. I think being able to give yourself a little more space with just riff and see what happens. Know how you're going to start. I mean, that is the key to all video is don't get on and be like, hi, uh, hello. I'm just, okay. I, I had some ideas for what I wanted to talk about today. And, um, every time I'm like, please stop it. Just don't say anything else. Like we're done now. You just lost everybody. So if you can get on and say, okay, I know exactly what my first 10 words are where I know exactly what my premise is. And I know I'm going to get on and say, hey, this is Melanie. And today I'm talking about whatever. Even though that's something you don't say on stage, at least you're going to be able to start with something to get you moving, to get you to not be so either scared or worried or not sure of what you're going to say next. And then you ruin the beginning and you're like, well, it's all going to go downhill from here. Never mind. So at least having that and then just going and letting it go until you're done. And you're like, okay, I'm done. See ya. Yes. Have a hook. So people actually want to hear what you have to say and actually keep listening. Nobody wants to hear. Um, um, I'm not sure. Yeah. No. I'm so with you. But and also doing that is how you get better at it. Right. I mean, you can riff on on a live video because you've been riffing on your topic of expertise for a very long time. I mean, and the only way to get there is to do it. And that's what's I think tough for most people hitting that record button that first time sending that first email, right? Like posting that first photo on your social media, whatever it is, it's just so much pressure <laughs> and yeah. it's not going to be good. 
Doing the first anything is hard. Doing it is, but once you do it, you do it again and again and again. And you're like, why am I scared of this? Like my podcast or the first course I ever built or the whatever thing I'm launching, the first time you do it is the hardest. And then after that, you're like, "Hmm, easy. Okay. Yes. And can I ask you, because I see a lot of your content is about manifesting the life that you want. How did, how does that interrelate with the speaking? A lot of that has to do with what's the life you actually want first and then putting Mm -hmm. all the pieces in place to get it. So I have people come to me and say, I want to be a full-time speaker. And I was like, okay, so how many days a year would you like to be traveling? And they're like, oh, like maybe 10. And I'm like, "Mm, then you're never going to be a full-time speaker. So it's looking at like, what's the goal? Like, what's your end goal with this? Like my end goal with speaking is I want to be able to speak 10 times a year, but make over $100,000 per speaking gig to do that. I want to fly in a private jet and add a vacation with my husband afterward if I have to go overseas. Like, there's all these little pieces. Like, I want to be able to do these things. I want to have my third book written five years from now, but I have to do the first one now in order for that to happen. So it's looking at what is the end goal and what do you really want in your life? And then backtracking from there and thinking, okay, well now I need to do about a hundred speaking gigs a year in order to get to 10 at a hundred thousand dollars. Great. But it's knowing ahead of time, oh, if I want to do that, I have to do this now in order to get there. And I can fast track it. I can move it forward much quicker, but can I do something now that I don't want to be doing so that I can do it later? I don't want that. I don't want anyone having to be like, well, I have to slog through all this shit before I can actually get where I want to go. When in reality, you don't have to. You can look at it and go, what do I actually want? Do I really want to be a speaker? Because if if that's what it looks like, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't want to be an author. Maybe I do want to build a certain business or another one. And so understanding where do I really want to go and who do I really want to be at the end of it, that's how I can go, oh, okay, well, if you want to manifest that, you have to start with these steps in order to get there. And they're your steps. They're not everybody's steps. So it's not like a blanket plan for everyone, but it's deciding what you actually want. I mean, the first step of manifesting is deciding what you want. And most people don't have any idea what they really want. They look at other people's lives and they're like, oh, well, I want what she has. Well, do you want to do the work to get where she got there? Like, and you can, if that's what you really want. But I had a speaker once tell me, she's like, I want to make $100,000 next year with speaking. I was like, great. How often do you want to be away from your kids? And she's like, well, I don't want to be away from my kids very often. I'm like, okay, but you want to make $100,000 with just speaking next year. What if we set a goal for, I want to make a million dollars in clients from my speaking next year instead of $100,000 in paid speaking gigs next year? And she's like, oh, well, that's more fascinating. I'm like, okay, so let's plan on having you do 10 speaking gigs next year. But the goal is to get $100,000 from each of those speaking gigs of clients. That's a totally different plan. So it's looking at the life that you really want and backtracking it and knowing exactly what you need to do to get there. Oh, that is such a great illustration of how people get really stuck in the idea that they of what they think they want and might not ever have considered what that actually looks like. Right. I mean, if you speak, being a speaker who gets paid a lot to speak, I think a lot of people just picture the actual, oh, I show up for an hour (laughs) and give my speech and then they pay me this money (laughs) and they have no idea what's involved behind the scenes. And to your point, and also the traveling, I mean, I don't want to travel at all. Like, I don't want to travel for work at all. <laughs> so yeah. Speaking is not on my, um, is not on my wish list at all. But I didn't know that. I'm exactly that person. Like, I, it, it seemed like something that I would want just because of the aura around it and yeah. assumptions that I didn't even know I had about it. Right. Really. And most people don't see that until they start getting into it. And mm-hmm. then they're too far along to stop. And they're like, well, I don't actually want this life. 
I can't imagine having kids and having the job that I have. Like I know that a lot of speakers and I, I huge props to all of the women, especially who get out there and then have to come home and take care of their kids as soon as they get home. They're not like coming home and be like, Oh, I'm going to lay down for like an hour. They're coming home to like, Oh, okay. So I have to do this and this and this and this and this, which I'm, I'm a go-getter that way too. But man, it's exhausting to travel that much and to be gone all the time. I mean, working moms have the worst of it because of that, because unless they have really amazing support at home, I do, I have an amazing husband, but I also don't expect another person to take care of my dog and the house and the dishes and the laundry and all of the things that I would want to have taken care of. I also know that I have to be 50% of that, even with all of my traveling. So there's a lot of balance that comes with it and a lot of what do I really want and how can I make sure that I'm not overwhelming myself to the point that I can't, can't actually get there. So it's, I think being realistic, but a, this is, this is a really fun word. I came up, I found, I found this phrase recently. It's called conscious delusion. And I feel mm. like uh, my coach told me this, that she came up with this word because of the fact that it's something that entrepreneurs have the most of conscious delusion. We have to be fully aware of the fact that this thing that we want is completely unrealistic and ridiculous to other people. And we're going to go after it and get it. So it's being delusional, like consciously delusional in something. And I think that that's really what we have to be as entrepreneurs is consciously delusional that, okay, you made a hundred thousand dollars this year, but you want to make a million dollars next year. You can do it. But do you want to do it through really hard work or do you want it through to do it through strategy in the way that you really should do it for you? Not because you're just going to work your face off to get it because you could and you could be burned out by the end of it and hate all of it and have a million dollars, but <laughs> you're miserable. But if you can do it in a way that allows you to come from in here, the knowing that conscious delusion is actually a win for you at the end of the day. That's a great concept. And, and so when you think about like a lot of people don't know what the steps are to get to that. Like you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. It's lucky if you run into someone like Melanie <laughs> and she can tell you that that's what the speaking gig looks like, but you might run into someone who is a quote speaking coach because they gave one speech and they've been doing this for a year and they don't know that. And so, and I think a lot of people are in that situation. They don't necessarily know who to listen to. And then also when I think about any goal, there are things that you're going to have to do that you may not like. And I find that this is a real place of contradiction that I'm constantly kind of struggling to, to explain to people because I feel like I'm, I'm constantly contradicting myself. I'm like, I want you to have the business you want, you know, build the exact business you want and do the th only the things you want. Okay, you don't want to do that, but you have to do that if you want this business. Sorry, there are some things you're not going to love doing. Like I do plenty of things I don't love doing, but I do them because I really want this business and this life. I don't know. What are your thoughts on like that balancing act? Because you don't want, like you said, I don't want people to hate what they're doing until they get what their goal is. But also there are things you have to do that you might not love. And that's okay, well, right? I think I always thought that until I started doing the work that I'm doing now and started putting all the pieces together going, oh, you mean I don't, okay, so I could just do the things that I love and live the life that I love instead of trying to do all the things I don't want to be doing. Like I'm still working through some of those things thinking I have to keep this. And then I was like, oh, but I don't, do I really do it? Oh, okay. Interesting. So as I've been clearing things out, I've been noticing how much I have this, I have this really innate ability, which I didn't know until recently that I can look at someone's business. And I can see exactly what the path is for where they can get to the actual goal that they want. So when they finally figure out what it is that they want, I have this like 
such a clear space to be able to get them to where they want to go. The problem is they have to want to get out of their own shit in order to get there themselves. So I can see the path, but I can't force them. I can't drag them through the mud hoping that they'll come with me. And that's been the clearest thing for me with even working with private clients. Like I have to be so careful that one, I can see that path for exactly how they can get to their goal. But two, they have to choose to not want to sit in it. And it's so safe and comfortable to sit in your own shit. I mean, I've done it for years. So like sitting in there going, no, this is, I just work really hard and I'm really good at working really hard. Yeah. Well, do you want to stop doing that? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. some people don't want to. Do I? I don't know. And it's really hard to make that decision. I mean, I've had to do it and I know that it works, but I also know that for 12 years, I have worked my face off and been like, I work 80 hours a week and I work hard and I play hard and it's so great. But now I actually just play really hard. (laughs) I have a lot more fun and I'd much rather have that for other people too. So Yeah, you can do it. It's just finding the right person to help you figure out what that path is and then know that they know they can help you and that you're willing to make the decision to move forward. Yes. And your willingness to move forward is one of the most important pieces. And if you're not willing to step up or change things or even entertain that you're holding on to beliefs or addictions, like addictions to work. I mean, it took me years to back off my addiction to work mm-hmm. as well. Like I liked it as part of my identity, made me feel really good. I remember when I noticed how addicted I was to checking things off a list, right? Like it's a, it's an actual addiction that I yeah. had to let go of, but I didn't realize it because our society makes you think that that's a really good thing. I was yeah. explaining this to my dad the other day because he didn't really get what I was talking about. He's like, but that all seems really good. I'm like, no, but dad, do you understand that I'm like filling my hole with that? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's, you know, if I was drinking a lot of alcohol, you might think that I was doing something. Oh, mm-hmm. now she's doing something wrong. But because it's a work thing, well, it looks great. You're productive. We all salute that. And that is the danger with entrepreneurship, I think. So a lot is. of people just use it as a crutch. It's true. And I think being able to choose to not have to do that anymore is the hardest thing for an entrepreneur because we wear it like a badge of honor. We're like, it's, but I'm an entrepreneur. I just work really hard and I do this stuff and I basically try to make a lot of money or try to have the life that I want. And we all say, we don't want to retire. We don't want to wait until we're in our seventies to finally get the life that we want. We want to do it now, except for the fact that we're all burning ourselves out trying to get this life that we really want when we don't have to try so hard. We can actually just be. (laughs) And once we tap into that being, oh, it changes everything. I love that. Well, that is a perfect note to end on because I think that gives every one of my listeners a lot to think about. Thank you so, so much, Melanie, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Pia. If you're feeling inspired to think bigger, to think more strategically, more specifically about the life and business that you want, go grab Melanie's manifesting workbook at melaniespring.com backslash manifest dash workbook. I will link to this in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. Taking inspiration from Melanie today, how clear are you really on what you want from your business? Do you have the details of it in your mind? Have you written them down? Or are you like me back in the day when I used to say, oh yeah, I want to be a highly paid speaker without realizing that that would mean things like traveling all the time, which I absolutely do not want to do for work. 
This is such a great exercise to do periodically because what you want, what we want evolves as we evolve. So if you haven't ever done this or you haven't done it recently, now is your chance. The clearer and more specific you are, the more likely you are to get it. And then once you get it, write that shit down. I recently heard about this old Harvard study where they asked the graduates about their goal setting and if they wrote their goals down. Only 3% of the people actually wrote their goals down. But when they followed up with everyone 10 years later, they found that those 3% of the students were 10 times more successful than the other 97%. Figure out what you want, write it down, and that might be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wastervall. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. Western Runners.